Hi there, listener. Sarah Holmes speaking. Welcome to Learning Day, a journey to explore how we integrate learning in our everyday lives. And this is Season 2, dedicated to documenting what we've learned in 2020. Here's the seventh episode. Hello, everyone. So today's episode was actually recorded in two batches. And that happened because part of the recording on the first try just got lost. That is incredibly annoying, as you can imagine. And I can reveal that that was one of the reasons why it took me so long to come back to the podcast after my break in April. I started editing this episode and then I realized that part of the recording had been corrupted and it just threw me off. I was not happy about it. But the truth is that it was interesting as well to have to go through that process and to have to deal with those feelings of frustration. Actually, I think this made this episode even more interesting because now we've had the chance to talk to the guest a second time after a few months. So the last time I talked to her was in March and now we are in June and there have been some evolutions and you will notice that her thinking has evolved, my thinking has evolved. One thing I can be sure of it wasn't the same conversation, but it was a very interesting conversation. And we wouldn't be having this conversation with our guests if she hadn't had a setback. She wouldn't be helping caregivers give better care to other people if she hadn't had a setback. And caregiving can sometimes feel a bit of a setback. It takes over our lives. It's a huge responsibility. So the work that our guest does is wonderful and important. If you'd like to learn more about caregiving to others and to yourself, this episode is for you. Today's guest is Filipa Pico. We talked about listening and paying attention as the essentials of caregiving, taking care of ourselves before we take care of anyone else, and valuing and respecting the ones who look after others. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Filippa. How are you? <laughs> good. And you? I'm good. Yes. This is our first, not, well, second full conversation, but we kind of tried to schedule a coffee for a really long time. And then in the end, years later, here we are actually getting to know each other a little bit better. <laughs> it was a long process to get here. <laughs> yes. Very funny and interesting. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Philippa. Thank you for signing up for this and for applying to share your story. Thank you for having me and uh, thank you for accepting my application because I wasn't really sure of what I was applying to. But I, as I've <laughs> known you, more or less, and I love learning, I was very curious about the theme of learning. Wonderful. You came to the right place. Good. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe yourself as a learner? So I'm a very avid learner. I'm very, very curious about everything since uh, I was a young child, I think. Not only science stuff, because I'm an engineer, but also everything that's related to people and studying. Can you pinpoint the last thing you've learned that you were excited about and curious about? I think I learn every day, but I'm studying again. I'm doing a post-graduation on dementia. So I'm learning more theoretically some things I already knew by experience. So it confirms my experience and this is something that makes me feel comfortable and more confident. So about dementia, I would say. 
Yeah, that process of validating the things we already know, it's, it's very interesting. I've experienced that myself, obviously, but also in other learning experiences that I was hosting or facilitating. It's quite interesting how we need this validation from an external party sometimes to just feel comfortable and feel like, okay, actually, I'm ready to go um, <laughs> yes. and, okay. and have less trust in ourselves and our experience. That's true. And I know you have a lot of experience in, in that area as you have worked at old people's homes, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've realized that they're called differently uh, in different places of the world. So I would call them retirement homes, but in England they call it care homes and in America maybe it's something else. I worked in four different care homes as a professional until the pandemic uh, started. I was the activities coordinator, so I worked directly with older people uh, doing different activities with them. I don't believe in the standard that you have to make people sing or paint or do calculations or write sentences. I believe that each person is unique and so they have different tastes and likes and dislikes. So I try to do a very individual work with each one of them because there weren't so many, so maybe 80 people in total and some of them weren't able to do anything else than just speak and have a conversation. So that would be their activity. Mm -hmm. Just talk to them to know how they are and were. So I believe in this individual process for each person, older person, what they need. Yeah, so I've shared this with you in our first conversation. I will share with everyone else. So my dad has Alzheimer's and he also has someone or people that uh, help him stay a bit more active. And he has uh, therapists and it's, I really love to see how they work with him and exactly what you said. So looking at him and understanding the things that he likes doing and then they do those things with him. Of course, now with the pandemic, it's slightly more difficult but my dad loves to be outside and go for a walk and just really be outside. He hates being at home, <laughs> which is a problem right now. Mm -hmm. He also loves like going to museums and mm -hmm. going to the city center because he knows all the buildings and he has uh, stories for all of them. And okay. so they take him to those places. And when he comes back, he doesn't remember what he did, but they know that he's having a good time and that he's much more relaxed. And I love how... Yeah, what you were saying, how they adapt the activities to him. Yes, yes. And with people with dementia, the more important thing would be how they feel. Even if they don't remember exactly what they did or who is this person, it's, how, it's all about how they feel. Because it's the same with us. It's the same with everyone. Of course, if we remember, we can describe it and tell, talk about it. But what remains and what's inside of us is how we feel doing this and that and how we feel with this or this other person. So that's the most important for a human being. Philippa, I'd like to take a couple of steps back. How did an engineer end up at a care home? So I was the family, I was, I had part of the role of being a family caregiver of my great aunt. She was called uh, Maria de Luz, but we called her Lulu. She was my person. I loved her more than anyone else in the world. And I did all of the things I thought would be good for her and uh, I did my best. And also, often, I did the worst that I could, I could because I didn't know anything about being old or getting older or how to take care of an older person. So I did a lot of wonderful things and some really not good. 
Hmm. So that's why I wanted to change careers and I stopped being an engineer, which was something I really enjoyed too. But this is my this is my purpose, I would say, to help older people have better lives and live better until they die. This is what I want to do. Before the pandemic, you were working at care homes. And then what happened? How has the pandemic changed the way you work with this group? I have a team of two other people. We are three and uh, one of my business associates is working in a retirement home for 10 years and the other is for 20 years. So they have a long, long experience in this sector, much longer than, than I do. What we did before, we, we, we gave training to the caregivers in the retirement homes. So training and support after the training. But then when COVID came, we had to adapt our strategy because we couldn't get into the retirement homes. For a while, we didn't know what to do or for how long it would be like this. So in the summer last year, we decided to start an online training and to give access to the family caregivers to the same subjects that we were doing with the, the training with the caregivers. So this is what we've been doing until now. Family caregivers learning how to better care for their loved ones. And that's such an important... Yeah, and so yeah. hard... It's so hard. I'm, in, in this situation, I'm the less affected one because my mom is the one who he's my dad's main caregiver and she's the one who spends all day with him. And my dad's very sweet. And so things are, aren't that complicated in terms of attitude or anything like that. But it's so hard still yes. to know what to do. What you were saying, like you're doing, you're doing your best, but sometimes your best is the worst because you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. And, and you don't know in one day one thing works, the next day the same exact thing doesn't work anymore. And, exactly. And it, it's this sense of being powerless and not knowing what to do that's so hard. And so I'm really curious to understand how the, the work you do with family caregivers, I would love to know what kind of guidance do you give to the family caregivers? We don't give training on uh, healthcare and because there are a lot of other entities giving this kind of training and we're not focused on that. From our experience in retirement homes and with professional caregivers, you can learn that easily. But even if you learn that, the most difficult part is the relationship part. How to relate to this other person who is in pain, who is vulnerable, who is very also frustrated with not being able to do things they did before. So the difficulty is how to relate to this person and how to relate to my own feelings. As you said, not knowing, doing things right, doing things wrong, uh, being frustrated with things not working sometimes and working other times. So we focus on the relationship and also on taking care of yourself. How important it is for the caregiver to take care of himself or herself. This is the basic thing. And caregivers usually don't even... Think about this. They think that, no, the important person is the other person. I don't want to know about me. I don't want to learn anything about me. I just want to know how to do best to care for this person. But this doesn't work if you don't care for yourself first. Yes. So this is the main objective is to try and make people think about how important it is to take care of them. Otherwise, they won't be able to take care of anyone else. For sure. And I think there's some sort of guilt associated to that like. I'm yes. I'm doing so well, I'm so healthy. Why do I need to care about me when this person is clearly struggling next to me? They are obviously the priority. It's really hard to deal with that guilt. Yes, yeah, you're right. 
but you can be healthy for a while. But if you have to take care of a person for a long time, like years, mm -hmm. it will start to have this negative impact on your health, even if you don't realize it. There will be an impact. Yes, obviously. This this subject is very close to home. <laughs> so I'm, I can see that very clearly. What is one strategy that someone who is potentially taking care of an older family member, what is one thing they can do to take care of themselves? That is like not hard. It doesn't take too much time <laughs> and they can do without guilt. Yeah, well, I, I would have to ask, this is the work also we do in the, in the training sessions in the course. Mm -hmm. I would have to ask each person, each caregiver, what is the thing that works for you? Because for me and for your father is going outside. But for some other person might be close the, all the windows and the shades and be in a, a dark room or take a cup of tea or have a longer shower or play an instrument or read a book. It, it would be very individual relaxation activity for each caregiver. So I would have to ask, what is it for you? What is it that works for you? And it can be only five minutes per day, but you have to keep a routine of having this only for me activity each day. This would be a good strategy to start with, even if it's just five minutes. I would say that that goes for anyone, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Give yourself five minutes yeah. where no one else is a priority. <laughs> yes, and it's so hard nowadays. Yes, it, it is really hard. I've been hosting these reflection sessions every week where I just invite anyone who wants to come in on a Zoom call, but they don't even have to talk to anyone if they don't want and reflect for 20 minutes. I get so much feedback like that. Like, oh, I love this 20 minutes. This is just for me. And it's so hard to do this. And I feel so much better. When you look at the greater scheme of things, it's just 20 minutes, but it's still so hard. Yeah, I'm still struggling with that. So I, I completely relate these people you're mentioning and also to the caregivers because then it's even heavier because there's the feeling of the guilty and not taking care of this person right now and just seeing care of me. It's hard to accept this. I hope you're enjoying my chat with Philippa. And before we go back to it, here's a message from Maria, a member of the Learning Day community. I first heard about the Learning Day Reflection Sessions through my network and it actually has taken me quite a while to make the commitment and sign up. I'm so glad I did. It's quickly become one of my absolute favorite self-care rituals each week. It's such a lovely community. You can show up exactly as you are, where you're at with whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, and there's no fear of trying to impress anyone or being judged. The feeling of community and connecting with people and talking about where you're at, that's really important. I'm really grateful that I can be part of this community. Consider joining one of the weekly reflection sessions this Thursday. Go to learningday.community to learn more and sign up. Now, back to our chat. Philippa, this is the second time we're doing this. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about redoing part of the interview? <laughs> Angry, uh, upset, tired. No, it's okay. I'm feeling both that and uh, excited to do it again. Yes, I've gotten over the rage. Now I'm just accepting it. It's never great to redo it, but it's good to have a second chance to talk to you and to discuss this amazing topic, which is caregiving. Philippa, on the first time we did this, we discussed a bit of our, your history and your story and how you arrived to this topic of caregiving. And since the last time we talked was in March... I would start by asking you, has anything changed in your story or how has it evolved since we last talked? 
I, I think I've been doing the same, more or less. And uh, I've been finding new challenges every time. As an entrepreneur, it's very hard every day and uh, very fulfilling too, sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I've been finding uh, new ways to do things and what doesn't work and what works. And so I think it's the same, but also different, a little bit different, maybe. Yes. Um, I'm glad you talked about the entrepreneurial side of, of your story, because that's where I would like us to start today. You started your own business last year in 2020, and you already told us that it's it's been half rewarding, half challenging. Can you tell us a bit more of how you made that transition and any challenges that you'd like to highlight? Last year, I was kind of forced of doing the transition because I couldn't work at the retirement homes anymore. I was forced to change and I am happy it happened like this because it, it was something I was postponing because I wasn't feeling ready and I thought maybe, okay, maybe I can start later. But in this way, I was really forced to, to do what I'm doing now, which is giving training and support for caregivers, both professional and also family caregivers. I'm doing it online until now. And I hope I will be vaccinated in two weeks, more or less. Mm. So I hope I'll start to do it uh, in person in September, maybe. So I'm trying to schedule that in that yeah. way. Are you, are you excited for that transition? Yes. I, well, it's very practical to do it online because it's simple. It's, it doesn't cost almost any money. It's just my time and my work. And if I have to go to places to give training, I will spend more time and it's a little bit more uh, time consuming and resource consuming. But at the same time, it's more uh, effective, I think, because it's different to be with the caregivers in person. I think it gives um, more impact to the training and also to their interactions. So I'm looking forward to that too and maybe keep both mm. online and also in person yes so a lot of possibilities have opened up and yes, yes and I, I think a lot of people listening will identify with that or so I hope and uh -huh. and we were put in the situation and we had to adapt and find new ways and now that we are slowly getting out of the situation getting out of the the restrictions at least it feels like there's a, an, another set of possibilities that open and it's about looking at that very intentionally and choosing what we want to do it's another very fertile ground to, <laughs> to see what happens i'm curious to see what's going to happen um yeah. cool so what have you learned in this process of starting to business i've learned so much i've the first and maybe the most interesting Thing, thing I've even posted it in, on LinkedIn I think it's that I wasn't uh, taught to fail I've never learned how to fail and I fail so often as an entrepreneur I fail every day and it's so frustrating sometimes and at the same time very insightful because then I learned that this way doesn't work so I have to try something else and this is the best way not the best but one of the very good ways of learning to to try and something that doesn't work and having to find a way that it does what would you say was your I was I was going to say biggest failure but that's not what I mean the failure that you've learned with the most hmm. I've never thought of that <laughs> I think it <laughs> It happens so often that I feel so much and I've, I'm learning to accept it as uh, being part of the path of doing things on my own. 
I think the hardest is the, the big disappointments because sometimes I make a big investment in someone or something and then it doesn't work at all as I planned. And that's, I, it is, it's not a failure, but it's such a big disappointment that I almost feel it as a, like, as a personal failure, even though it isn't. Have you found strategies or ways to cope with that disappointment? Is there anything that has helped you? If I, I try more often to be open to whatever happens, not to expect so much of things and the people and the situations, not to plan the, so much what the result will be. I think it's the best way for me to deal with these unexpected things that happen, as our, happened with our recording. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just keep getting, getting used to it, right? And yes. It's yes. like developing so. a muscle. Uh, and yeah. then it, it becomes stronger and then it, it I think so yeah, yeah I agree yeah and also maybe I'm thinking of it now trusting how I feel about it trusting my intuition about things and people because sometimes I try to be very rational and uh, it has proven not to be the best way sometimes so maybe I have to trust my intuition more yes that comes up a lot uh here okay. on, the, <laughs> on the podcast and in other uh, and other initiatives that we do at Learning Day. Um, okay. It does feel like a lot of people, and myself included, we're all waiting for permission to trust our intuition and to mm -hmm. maybe leave the data and the hard facts not behind, but give them less importance when compared to intuition and just feeling things. And it, it's really interesting. I, yeah. it's, it's very interesting. And I'm assuming that intuition and paying attention to how we feel and how others feel. It's a big part of being a caregiver. Would you agree? Yes, exactly. Yes, I do. And that's what we try to, uh, to make uh, people understand and realize in the training. A lot comes from that, just paying attention and uh, looking at people and situations and listening. It's very difficult and at the same time, much simpler if we do that, if we pay attention and if we are present and listening and looking and just there. Yes. I remember you talked about how important it is to pay attention to how the other person reacts to a certain thing in that moment, because it changes, especially for older people with dementia, the, the way they behave and the way they are feeling in that moment can be very situational, very different. And so it's really important to be present and paying attention to that. Yes. It's funny that we started a new uh, training uh, group yesterday mm. and it comes often from the people that come to the training that they, one of their conclusions is, okay, maybe I have to pay more attention to not be stressed all the time and trying to solve things all the time. So it, sometimes it's enough just to be present and be there. It's not easy because we have a lot of, uh, requests during the day professionally family and also for the people for the person we are caring for or persons but if we can try sometimes just to stop and be there with a person and really 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 pay attention that's very big and the person who is receiving the care will notice and will know that we are there for them i remember another thing we talked about was how Sometimes caregivers don't see themselves as caregivers and mm -hmm. how that sometimes it's even a challenge for you to get through to the people that need your support and they need your training. Can you tell us a bit more about that? 
Yes. So I haven't really found the, the, the way to the right way or mm. the way, one of the ways to, to get to these people. I'm trying to adapt the way I communicate instead of making it so professional or using the, the professional terms that we would use for gerontology and things like that. I, I try to talk to people when I write uh, the way that they would talk between friends or family or with other persons. So I have to find the way to adapt the communication so that people understand that it's about them that we're talking about and trying to reach out. And why do you think they don't see themselves as caregivers? It's a lot related to the fact that they see it as an obligation. They just have to do that. They have to take care of their father or their wife or husband because it's an obligation. What they should do, they don't even think that they can decide not to do it or ask someone else to help. It's just, it's my mission, so I'm going to do it and I have to do it. And it's me, me who has the responsibility. So they don't even think of them as being able to decide or even that there's a name for this role maybe they just yeah. feel like this is what i have to do i'm, I'm not the special thing because i'm doing this yes, yes. of course <laughs> that comment from you and that insight was really interesting for me because as I, I have shared, my dad has Alzheimer's and it's really interesting how I get questions and compassion from other people asking me, so how are you doing? Is everything, are you, are you doing well with all this situation? And sometimes I'm confused and I'm like, why are you asking? <laughs> I'm not doing anything. And I always have this idea that no, my mom is, has the, the hard time. She's the one who has a really hard job, a full-time job of taking care of someone else and her herself and, and 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 I forget that that also impacts me and I'm part of this and I'm also taking care of him in a different way but I am and 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 mm -hmm. it's so so when we talked about this the first time it really hit me I'm like oh okay I am doing that uh, and it's it's really funny how I wasn't aware of it at all there was something else that I think we should touch on again which is the fact that most of the people who take care of others are women and that usually this burden, this extra emotional labor lies on, on someone that usually already is taking care of the home and is already has a lot of these tasks that aren't as rewarded in society. Do you see that in your groups? Uh, and how do you feel like that impacts the, the way they interact, the way they accept help even? Well, I'm, I met one man who was a caregiver. He's not even a caregiver anymore. Mm -hmm. And in our groups and in every time we gave training, only women came to the training. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it is our communication that it's only reaching them because I decided to use the feminine of caregivers in Portuguese. Mm -hmm because it's mostly women, so why not write to them? But uh, yes, most of them are women or all of them of the ones that we know. And they haven't mentioned or it, it's not mentioned how it affects the rest of their lives. I don't have any insight on that, mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure it does because it's, like you say, an extra burden, an extra preoccupation. I don't know. And if we look at, at it from a colder standpoint, it's a job. 
It is a job. It's a very important job. It's one of the most important jobs in our society is taking care of other people, be it older people or children or our loved ones. And it's not valued because it doesn't have a value, because it's not related to profit, because it's not on the GDP. The truth is that mm -hmm. if everyone stopped caring, and in this case, mostly women, we wouldn't have food to eat, we wouldn't have clothes to wear, we wouldn't have a clean space to live in, and we wouldn't live a better life when we're older. And so for me, it's really important to talk about this again, because it's such an important part of our society, and we don't give it enough attention. For me, your project is really interesting and really valuable, I believe, because it, you are supporting the ones that support others. And without them, everything crumbles. And it's really, mm -hmm. really important. I'm very even proud that you are here on, on Learning Day and you're talking about it. So thank you thank again. You. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, too. Just to add that I, I, I think about this often because when we talk about older persons, we usually forget about the persons that care for them, the caregivers. And as you said, they are so important and their work is so valuable and most people doesn't even uh, value them as persons, as professionals or as uh, just uh, loved ones. And uh, as in professionals, we rely mostly on immigrants and we will rely mm. more and more because Portuguese people don't want to do that work. It's very mm. hard. So that's also one of the reasons I think it's not very much valid because we can pay them very little and they will do the work because they don't have any other possibility. They cannot choose something else. They have to accept what they find. And this is what it's easily found as a job. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to find good caregivers and the ones that come for the interviews and they're mostly immigrant. Mm. That's another nuance that it's really interesting. And again, it shows how we value things that have a direct impact in someone's profit. And because this doesn't have a direct impact on no one's profit, also because most, at least care homes, most of them are public or partly public and they don't have a for-profit agenda. And even the ones that have a for-profit purpose, they don't reach most people, right? Because they're really expensive. And mm -hmm. so... What you're sharing here is so important, how the people who work in this field have really low wages. And, and now we are welcoming into this workforce people who are really willing to work and they need support, right? And particularly if they are immigrant, they probably don't know the culture in Portugal. And so they need even more support and they need to be respected. Thank you for bringing that up as well. Filipa, what should we all know when it comes to looking after or spending time without elders? The most important thing is to look at the person you're caring for, listen to her or to him, really pay attention, be present and ask him or her what does he or she want. Mm -hmm. Really treat this person as a person. Do not make assumptions or decide for them because you don't like that for you. I don't like people to decide things for me. And I'm sure that when I'm older, I, I will keep not liking that. <laughs> so we really have to pay attention and ask them and listen and look, be really there for them. If you already do all of this, you can try to ask yourself, what could I do to improve the way I care for this person? 
What could I change? What could improve the well-being of the person I care for? And also my well-being. Mm. What could I do better? Because sometimes we're just so used to doing things in a certain way that we don't stop and see how it is. And what could I do in a different way? What would I like to change? What could be done in a different way? Or not. And how can we support the caregivers? If you have a caregiver, if you're paying someone to also help you, please look at them too as persons because it's so hard. You know it for yourself that it's hard and they're taking care of someone you love. And what do they need to also to do this job better? Not just more money sometimes, just someone to talk to them and look at them and help them if they need something little as a day off or to go to, I don't know, take care of their children because they also have families. Mm. So their lives are also hard. So be also attentive to their needs too, because then they will care better for your loved ones. Mm. And how about the informal caregivers? For example, how can I support my mom who spends most of her time with my dad taking care of him? But the first thing would be to ask her, mom, what do you need? Yes. Uh, what, what could I do? And, and sometimes these These persons that assume these roles, they say they don't need any help. Oh, it's okay. I don't need help. I can do it on my own. If he or she is like that, uh, you have to pay attention once again and try to help in whatever way you can. That's in a way that might relieve her a little bit so that she has time for herself. Because informal or family caregivers usually don't have time for themselves. And they need time for themselves just to take a shower, go to the hairdresser, mm. go shopping, go for a walk. So this would be very valuable to replace them and give them time to do things for themselves. The smallest things they need. Thank you, Filippa. The last question, what is learning for you? I don't know what I answered the first time. <laughs> It's okay. But I think learning is really living something, like trying and being comfortable or uncomfortable with it, and then trying and being open and being curious and trying to get something out of it. And then maybe I will learn or not, but this is the way I deal with learning for myself. And if you could ask our listeners one question, what would that be? How would you like to be treated when you're old and dependent and you need uh, help for most of the things you do? Just as simple as getting up from your chair and going to the bathroom. How would you like to be taken care of? Thank you, Philippa. Thank you for your openness to being here, for the work you do and for doing this twice. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course, you're welcome. If you want to get in touch with Philippa, find out how on the show notes. I would also love to hear from you. Go to learningday.community and reach out. If this episode was useful to you, consider subscribing to Learning Day on your podcast app. And as a little extra, share it with a friend. I don't know where this is going to take us, but I know we're going to learn something along the way. Thank you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>